Hey everybody, Jason V here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Local Color Podcast. We have a very special guest in the building. This interview is about three years in the making because I interviewed her three years ago and I think the audio was bad and I just never released it. And then it just took me a while to reconnect with her. So I'll let her introduce herself. What's your name? Uh, my name is Jessica Hyman. Uh, I go by Trill Natured, uh, DJ Trill Natured, which is my stage name. And where are you from? I am from Hartford County, Maryland, which I usually say is about uh, half an hour north from Baltimore City. Which part of uh, Hartford County are you from? I, I dated a girl who lived in, I think it was called Forest Hill. Yep, that's in Hartford County. So I am from Abingdon, which is like between Edgewood and Bel Air, one of the smaller towns. And I went to Edgewood High School and Edgewood Middle School. And I went to elementary school actually in Abingdon. How did your family end up there? So my dad was born in North Carolina, uh, raised in Baltimore City. I think he came to Baltimore City around like age seven or so. And my mom was born in South Carolina and uh, came to Baltimore City when she was like two. Um, so they actually met in like middle school. They've known each other like forever. They got married at like maybe like 20 and then moved up to Hartford County where they raised us until we finished high school. You know, I've been in back, back in Baltimore since uh, I came back to the area for college. I went to UMBC uh, and graduated in 2010. And so I didn't in Baltimore since then. So like, you know, kind of like born here, raised in Hartford County, um, spent a lot of time in Baltimore growing up because my family's here um, and now I'm living in Baltimore, which I love. And what was it like growing up in Hartford County? It was, uh, I will say I am grateful for being able to grow up um, where I did. Like, you know, as far as like people talk about like the education system and the the public schools, um, they were decent. Um, you know, that's probably the main factor. I mean, I wasn't around too many Black folks, to be honest, until I went to middle school, um, until I started going to Edgewood, as far as being around too many Black folks in Hartford County. Um, it was, having them was probably more on the white side. And so, all right but it wasn't you know I really like I said I'm grateful for being able to benefit from like the privilege of like you know let's say not having to like come up in um you know some of the more um difficult places to to raise kids and be safe in Baltimore City. So growing up music was a really big part of you and your family's life and your father, he really liked the oldies, you know, the soul and R&B of the 60s and 70s, but he also really mm -hmm. supported and would participate with you and your brother, um, or I guess, yeah, you and your brother's love for hip hop. Um, did your brother introduce you to hip hop or was it somebody at school? So going back to the part where I was around, like, like I went to school with like a lot of, um, white kids and up until middle school the music that I really on a day-to-day -day basis would be around was like pop music right so like 90s pop music 
like insane backstreet boys uh i don't know what third eye blind all that stuff right and so then i think i was like 10 or 11 um and i was in the car with somebody i knew it wasn't my folks um it was like some girl that went to my grandmother's church and they had on um it's crazy that I was introduced to like hip hop like proper um so late but anyway they had on uh 92q and big uh what was it big willie style um get uh getting jiggy with it yeah yeah, it was Jiggy with it came on the radio, uh, Big Willie Styles album, and I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I like this, and I think from then on, like, I kind of just um, started digging into hip hop on my own because my parents weren't super strict, but I definitely was not allowed to like buy my own music, even the clean stuff per se. Like, I wasn't allowed to like buy tapes and like play them on my own or have anything like that. Because I just, you know, it just wasn't their thing. And I think they were a little bit more cautious when we were younger. But after that, um, I was like, oh, this sounds good. And um, I just kind of got into hip hop on my own. I remember loving Eve um, from the Rough Riders. I remember loving... Um, it's, it's funny because back in... So I'm 32. And um, I don't know if you remember, like, when a song would come out and you wanted to like learn the words, like you would go to the, the lyrics website. Yeah, azlyrics.com. Yes, and you would print <laughs> out the lyrics and you would like learn, you would learn, like, right? Um, and so I had like a little binder uh, with all these lyrics, these song lyrics. Um, and I remember I learned Eve, what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, like top to bottom um and I would be like I remember I was on a bus stop one time and I was like I was like yo I know the whole song I was like let me uh I was like let me write this for you um to this one girl um but yeah that's crazy I'm just having flashbacks to like how different things were like we got genius now and back then we would have to like dial up the internet print out the rap lyrics or print out the whatever lyrics and and learn them yeah, stuff has uh, definitely changed in the last like 20, 25 years. Um, so you talked about going to um, it's like a predominantly white school when you were in elementary school, and then you really got your introduction to just other black people and more exposure to black culture when you were in middle school. What was high school like? Um, yeah, so I think I started answering that question by talking about like how uh, just as a kid, I was extremely quiet, like extremely shy and like kind of self-isolated. And so I feel like even though like I was in the city, uh, visiting my family a lot, even when I was younger, like I still like didn't like, I was slow to build my own relationships and wasn't the kind of kid to go out and play and all of that. And so then going back home, living in Hartford County and being raised there, um and being around mostly white kids and going to daycare with mostly white kids um that was what I experienced day to day because like that was my kind of forced like structured setting on a on a regular basis but even outside of that I was such a shy kid um but anyway like 
high school was kind of a continuation of that. And so I was still shy, um, like still like was not the high schooler that was like trying to go out and party, was not the one that was trying to like try to hit the blunt for the first time or any of that stuff. Um, I love basketball. So I played basketball, um, JV and varsity. And I was in the band. Um, I played the clarinet. That's about it. Like that was that was what I did. Um, I got really into basketball and my dad would actually like train me and my brother over the summer. We'd be up at like 6 a.m. every morning out on the on the basketball court. Um, I think I, I saw myself going to the to the WNBA eventually, but yeah, basketball and I was definitely one of those kids who was like in their shell all the time. Absolutely. And so like, if I were to tell folks from high school, well, some of them know, but if I were to like tell them, oh yeah, I'm a DJ now, um, they'd probably be like, huh? I understand where you're coming from. I was like that when I was uh, growing up as well. I was super just kind of staying to myself and very introverted. Then as I got older, I definitely honestly just got better social skills and and had friends and stuff like that. And I actually do credit music, specifically hip hop music, helping me to come out of my shell because I found it as a way to express myself. And mm. a lot of it, like a lot of the music that I was listening to, it it kind of, it, it just sounded the way that I felt, you know what I mean? Like I'll never forget mm-hmm. when I was, and you know, talk about, I guess, late bloomer, I guess, when I was in 12th grade. So when I was in high school, my friend Seth, and I always tell this story. He gave me two CDs. He gave me The Listening by Little Brother, and then he gave me Mad Villainy by Mad Villain. And then once I heard those two, I was just like, there's like there's like music out there that is speaking directly to me. So I definitely understand. Wow, that's some, that's some real um, stuff to start out with. Little Brother, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, and what's even crazier is I'm, I'll be 32 in November, I started listening to them in high school and, and I liked it because it just sounded good and it, it just kind of made me feel good. But now that I'm older and I go back and listen to their music, they they just made some of the best shit I've ever heard. I don't remember which one of the group members was saying it, but they were just like, we just want to make life music, man. And mm-hmm. off of the listening, uh, that track Speed, my friend Seth and I would always argue about like who was better and I was really into MF Doom when I was younger because I was like the the weird black kid. But mm. Speed by Little Brother is like one of, I feel like it is one of the best hip hop songs ever because it just perfectly encapsulates what's it like to be an adult and just trying to trying to make everything work. And it's like life is just moving so fast. So sometimes you just wish that you could slow it down. So uh, I say all that to say I, I completely um, understand uh, uh, where, where you're coming from. What did you do after you graduated? You said that you went to UMBC. What was that experience like? Um, UMBC was, um, I like being there. I mean, my experience was decent. I definitely, like, if I could go back, I feel like we all uh, would do things a little differently in college if we could go back. But I definitely would have just probably just tried to experience more and do more. Um, I was just kind of like, you know, unsure of like what I wanted to do career wise and still like very much in my shell. And so that kind of characterized like my college experience. But I'll say it was, uh, I generally felt good there. 
Um, my brother was there at the same time. So that was cool. I was chilling. And I think I, I maybe discovered like going out and partying like my last year of UMBC. My college experience was definitely not like, like the typical, the typical one. Um, like very much still to myself. And I, I think I probably transformed like out of that kind of personality, like probably, probably not until like my mid twenties, to be honest. What was the event or what happened that allowed that transformation for you to kind of come out of your shell and, and be more outgoing? Cause you have to have definitely like a like a gregarious or uh, like that certain type of personality to, to do live music. So what happened? I'm not even sure. I think like the best answer I could probably give you is that I told myself at one point that I was going to like fake it till I make it. And I may have read like a self-help book or two, but something clicked where I was like, I'm going to put more of myself out there. So I'm going to like, be more confident. I'm going to be like less self-conscious. Um, I'm literally going to like talk louder, like small <laughs> stuff like that, that like I was completely like foreign to me. And I'll tell you, like, if my old self were to see me now, like I wouldn't even recognize myself. And so I've, I've definitely talked about that um, when it comes to a lot of your your questions that you've asked me. Um, because I think that that's probably like one of the biggest um, uh, life changes for me is like kind of coming out of that shell um, and just becoming a, a a different person as far as like shyness and anxiety, which is like a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I can't say there was a particular moment, but I think I just like made a decision um like gradually that I was just gonna be different and it was like for myself you know like not for anybody else it's very uh interesting to hear you say all of this because I I kind of see so much of myself in these stories that you're telling because I kind of did the same thing like I read a few books and like for me personally I just got to a point where I just really felt like that I didn't like who I was so I made the conscious effort to kind of do those opposite things. Like when I was in high school, I like I and I didn't party either. Well, I met like a certain group of friends, and um, I'm still friends with them today. But they were kind of the ones that introduced me to partying, and you know, for better or for worse, drinking uh, in high school. Mm -hmm. and stuff. Uh, so I definitely um, understand where you're coming from with that. I do have another question though, based off of everything that you're telling me was your brother the opposite? Like, was he super outgoing and popular and like, he just always like had a lot of charisma? Yeah. So he was, we were both actually like our personalities are the same and that we're pretty laid back. Like we actually, like when we were seniors in high school, we got the, um, we both got the superlative most relaxed. They gave a good award to both of us, but he was definitely like more, um, social like you know had more confidence and was like like had his own relationships and friendships and um was really the one who probably people like got to know first um and so I found that like when I was younger like a lot of my friends or associates um were you know often like folks who were my brother's friends first and so 
I was always kind of like chilling in the in the background in that way. Um, definitely, like I think the theme is like I was a late bloomer. I I, I just can't really overstate how much <laughs> I identify with that. So once you graduated UMBC, graduated from UMBC, when did you start dabbling in Baltimore's arts and music scene, and and what made you specifically gravitate towards DJing? So first it was like kind of like the party scene and the club scene. I was going to like select for a little bit or like um, like Red Maple, places like that. Um, and then probably around like 2014, um, I discovered like I had, I think I was dating this girl that was like, um, she was like artsy. And so she was from Baltimore. She went to school down in um, Savannah at uh, SCAD. And she was into a lot of different stuff. Like she introduced me to like Little Dragon and artists like that, mm-hmm. um, kind of like all artists. Um, and so I think I was with her when I first went to like Auto Bar um, and just kind of experienced like that kind of like DIY. Um, mm-hmm vibe and and most definitely like different styles of music and and artists who I hadn't heard before um and so I think first it was the partying and then it was kind of like oh like exploring like different different like versions of the arts and music scene in Baltimore and then the hippo was probably like the central kind of motivator for me to like want to look into DJing or at least like explore or start to thinking about being a DJ there was DJ Rosie of course and then there was a DJ who is now based in Atlanta I always um speak on her DJ Excel um because she would like fill in for DJ Rosie like maybe a few times a year um and I met her through a friend uh and I ended up actually asking her if I could like stand in a booth and like watch her and I can't even say that at that point when I asked her could I do that I can't even say that I was like oh man I'm trying to be a DJ this is what I wanted to do I think something literally just drew me to like wanting to like just see what she does um when she was in there and it's crazy I I think like I don't really think that I can put a finger on, on like the moment that I said oh, I want to try this. Like, I want to get my own stuff and I want to try this. But I can put my finger on, like, the time where I said, hmm, I wonder what it's like being up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would sit maybe a couple nights. I just watched her play. Um, and I was allowed to, like, stand in the booth. And probably a couple years later, I think I started DJing in 2016. Mm. Or before, I think I got the timeline kind of messed up, but like 2015, maybe, I think. I remember hitting up DJ Excel again and asking her like about the basics of DJing. And she was like, she was like, you just got to learn how to count. She was like, the first thing you got to do, learn how to count. Just practice counting. Like when you're listening to music in the car, wherever, just practice counting the beat. Um, And I started doing that. And I think I got some gear um, a while later and just started teaching myself. And it started with um, just watching her and then her telling me, you gotta learn how to count. What specifically are you counting? Are you just counting like the beats 
in the measure I like I have no like formal education on music theory. So I, I only know kind of what I know just from listening, but what exactly are you counting? The it's the basis to good DJM, right? So like you can't just like you can't mix into a song anywhere, right? You gotta mix like in at the end of the hook or at the where the intro is at the beginning of the song, like before the verse starts. And so the counting is about like counting um, songs are made up of like sets of bars, which are called phrases. So like four bars would be a phrase or like eight bars might be a phrase depending on like, you know, who you're talking to. But generally like the hook is a certain number of bars, like the verse is a certain number of bars if you're dealing with dance music. Like the buildup is a certain number of bars or the breakdown or the intro. And so when you're counting, what you're doing is basically like in your head, you're doing the math to know like when to bring the new song, like the new track in um, and fade the new track out. And so it's really all math. So it's like, okay, so if I know that my hook is 16 bars and I want to mix out of that hook, into the intro of this next song and the intro of the next song is is not 16 bars 16 beats and if i just put those over top of each other as soon as i drop the next song it's going to be right on the one right so the counting is one two three four five six seven eight one two three four five six seven eight and so i do that over and over and even if like if I'm DJing and like somebody starts talking to me or somebody's like handing me a drink or something like, or something distracts me, all I, as long as I keep that count, like I, I'm either like tapping my foot, but always keeping that count um, in the back of my head, then I could come back and be ready to, to, to mix right into something else. So once you learned how to count and and you got your gear and you started practicing and stuff like that how long did it take you to get confident enough to want to do your own show and can you remember the experience of like your first set I was so nervous so I remember my (laughs) first set was I think I had so crazy like the series of events that just kind of got me into like the circles that I was in um but Blackstar got me my first gig and I met him somehow, probably at Auto Bar or something. But while I met him, I had like, I was just getting into like playing around with my gear and like download a bunch of music and stuff and teaching myself. And then um, I think Black was running like an open mic somewhere in the city. He had my contact information at that point and he needed somebody to DJ at the open mic. And he knew I was like kind of working myself up to being able to perform out and, you know, out in public. And he hit me up. He was like, yo, um, can you DJ in like a couple hours? Um, And I was like, I started freaking out. I definitely remember taking like a shot of liquor, like before I headed outside. (laughs) And I was super nervous, but I went and I played. I remember playing like, I played a little bit of throwback stuff, like some new stuff. I wasn't awesome, but like it felt good. And like the people in the room were feeling it. So I think that was the moment that kind of encouraged me to keep going. Um, And most definitely like having that connection like with Black and like him just kind of throwing me out there um, was not like the worst idea. 
it's how I play my first gig. And I'm not sure, like, if it were up to me to, like, get out there on my own, you know, I'm not sure when. I think I would eventually found my way to a stage, but I think I probably would have stalled it out a little more. Because <laughs> um, I was I was definitely nervous and just unsure about, like, you know, what it would mean to to play out in public. As you were answering that question, you uh, kind of touched on something that I want to uh, ask you about now. Um, so for your first DJ set, you got a fairly solid response from the crowd. And I can definitely uh, see how the crowd response is kind of how that influences that like that influences how you play um you say yourself you label yourself as not a genre dj because you play all kinds of music and you really do just go with what the crowd is responding to uh but what if like despite all your effort the crowd's just not feeling it like how do you save a bad set or do you just kind of say to yourself like this is crashing like i'm just gonna let it burn yeah, so I saw, I, I was looking at that question um, when you said the interview question, and that's the only one that I looked at, and I was like, oh, man, like, how am I going to answer this one? Because um, I don't really think that I've, I probably have been in that situation and <laughs> didn't realize it, I don't know, but Honestly, I think that if you tried everything you can and like the crowd is just not feeling it, then the crowd is just not going to feel it. And I think you just play through. I think you just finish your set. Um, you know, I think you try to continue to like respond to the crowd as best you can. But like at that point, you just finish your set because like as we all know, like you're going to have those days, you're going to have those sets, you're going to have those performances it definitely takes some fortitude to keep pushing through when you can tell that the crowd is not feeling it. Um, but that's, you know, that's what you got to do until the, until the set is over. And then you got to go do whatever practice or nurse your wounds or, or, or whatever um, after you walk off the stage, but you just got to finish. And I'm going to take that advice one day. Um, I don't <laughs> think I've had, I don't think I've had a set like really crash and burn. I think like the closest thing I can remember is I was playing at the crown and it was like these, like probably like, it was like some 40 something um, like white women in there. And one of them requested a song and I made the mistake of playing it, even though I knew like it was not gonna like, I knew it was gonna kill the vibe, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a Fetty Wap song and I played it and I watched the dance floor just kind of clear out. Oh, wow. Uh, not like completely, but I was like, oh, okay. Like, and, and I knew like, and that's when I was like, all right, you know what? Like, um, I already don't take every request, but now I'm, I'm definitely not going to like, you got to be, you know, like if the request ain't it, then, then it just ain't it. Uh, but yeah, I played Fetty Wap um at the crown probably like it ain't like it it like it had just dropped like it was new it was like fetty watt was a little played out and i played it and i was like oh man and i could see i could like you know i could feel myself like lose the crowd in that moment mm -hmm. and so like just to know what that feels like is um you know like, it's a learn like it's a learning moment and it just tells you to like listen to yourself you know yeah, absolutely. In a 
In a 2018 interview, you said that Baltimore needed to focus more on venues, resources, and support for its local artists. Uh, COVID aside, it's been three years since um, you did that interview. Do you feel like those issues still exist? Like, pretend that, you know, COVID just never happened. Like, let's, I guess, let's go back to like 2019. I guess so then it would have only been a year after that interview. Um, do, do those issues still exist? Um, I think they do. I think, and I don't know like how much folks have been able to um, like put into their venues or how much that they've been able to like really work on these issues in terms of just the infrastructure of certain venues in the city. I don't know how much like they've been able to really focus on that, but um, I do know that coming back um, and things reopening is like really uh, an opportunity for kind of like a reset. And I think for venues to like listen to artists and performers and listen to what folks need. Um, I don't know if the demand on venues is like back to where it was uh, pre-lockdown, but I definitely think there's an opportunity to, you know, like some venues that they got like, what do you call it? The PPP or like, like yeah. venue support grants and stuff like that. I think there's an opportunity for current venues to like improve like whatever they have, the facilities, and there's definitely room, always room for more um, spaces in the city. We're definitely still, I would say, at a deficit. I don't think that DIY artists especially have spaces on demand to kind of be without having like kind of fight over the, a small handful of um spaces or resources and not fight but like literally like we're all trying to like seek the same the yeah. same resources yeah and there's just only so much to go around so even if someone is like super deserving of it if they don't get it, it we would like to like assume you know in a perfect world it's not like anything personal it's just they they just didn't get it you know yeah and i think like there's a lot of different dynamics that come into play like relationships and you know connections like all have um an impact on whether or not like you get into certain spaces unfortunately and I think that it's important for those connections to I guess be facilitated um so that like new folks coming in are able to get a foot in the door right it's being a part of a network and um knowing people just like it just like it always is you know do you think that there's a lot of give and take in that aspect of DJing? Like as a DJ, um, of course, you want to get booked in like venues and stuff, but you feel like you kind of got to put in the work to to get to that point? I definitely, yeah, I definitely think so. I think, I think if you sound good, if you have stuff out there, I think that there should at least be enough um opportunity for new artists to at least get on a stage I think the barriers for just kind of getting out there and getting your first shot at it should be as little as possible as small as possible but let's just say this gatekeeping is is not like I'm not a fan of that very much into like not 
you know, like not putting up barriers just because, um, you know, if you sound good, like if people like you, if the crowd responds to you, if you have a following, if you have um, the work ethic, if you like care about the community um, and you didn't just like pop up out of nowhere and like expect for everybody to come to your shows and stuff. Like, I think that everybody deserves opportunity because I think that's like, partly what like art and music is about which is like experimenting with ideas but also just like you as an audience like experimenting with giving other folks opportunity to stand in front of you and perform can you talk about the significance the crown has had on uh, baltimore's music and lgbt scenes mm, definitely a significant one i'm trying to figure out where to start um i've been going to the crown since like I think maybe 2016 it's probably been around like five more than five years um but I think I started going like 2015 2016 and I think for just the perfect combination of reasons or the perfect combination of influences it just became a spot where people were able to come and be um People are looking for a space where they can hear different kinds of music, where they can, you know, generally show up looking the way they want to look, being themselves and feeling safe. I think it's hard to find all of those things, like that set of um, dynamics in one space. And so I think the crown, for whatever reason, has been able to like kind of encapsulate those things and just like you know, kind of create a vibe that people like. I'm one of those people. Um, and I think, you know, it's important. It's been, it's been around for a while now. Um, I really, it was like one of those things where like, oh man, like, is this going to be another joint that like closes down a couple years? But, you know, it's stuck around. Um, and I think that like, as it has evolved, like people, know what it is um people know where it is and like people know like what to expect when they go there in a good way how has djing allowed you to give back and connect to the arts and culture in baltimore i think djing is what brought me into the community proper and like made me feel like i was part of the arts community versus being like a consumer um or part of like the audience that will come to like experience performances. Um, I think I really felt that shift into like being someone who's a part of the community um, and who identifies as an artist themselves. Um, one of my favorite uh, kind of evolutions, I guess, um, of my DJ career was being able to teach kids I'm not doing it right now, but uh, a few years ago or a couple years ago, uh, I was teaching kids at a rec center in Baltimore City, uh, had a DJ and I, I got them a couple performance opportunities, like one at the BMA and one at um, Artscape or Kidscape, the kids part of Artscape. Um, super rewarding, uh, really fun. And that's probably apart from version and like what I've been able to bring with that, me and um, Chaotic Couture, I think that's probably like my, I feel like my most significant um, 
contribution. Apart from the work that I do with youth on a daily basis, like being able to, to have those couple years where I was like teaching kids and like really introducing them to like the gear and the concept of DJing and getting them out in front of people. Um, that was real. I think that was really important to kind of mesh like the youth work that I've always been doing with the DJing that I have, you know, been doing for like the last five years or so. We're going to start wrapping up here. And these are two questions that I always ask my guests. First, what is coming up next for you? And second, how can people get in touch if they want to book you for a show or uh, listen to some of your mixes? Uh, so um, what's coming up next? Version will be back eventually. Um, my rough guess is before the end of this year I'm still waiting on the crown like you know as you might know like they're upstairs um like the red room blue room as everybody knows it is not open yet version is pretty a pretty big party and so I really don't want to bring it back in a way that is going to like limit people um from coming or just in a way that's not going to feel like version like I'm okay with waiting until things are right before version comes back um, so that's the main, I mean, looking forward to version. I'm also working on a healing circle for artists. Uh, we haven't talked about this much, but I think a big theme right now for me is like trying to figure out how to move back into the performing world and how to like, well, I guess I have coped, um, throughout the, the lockdown, like, how to continue coping with like everything that was lost and the way that things were just put on pause. Like version had a huge amount of like love and momentum and it just kind of just like vanished um, like before our eyes. And so dealing with that and like the anxiety and, and I'm not the only artist who feels that way. Right. So I've talked to other performers who are having the same feeling. And so I want to basically just, have a space for us to process those feelings, talk about what performing looks like for, you know, for me or for whoever else would be a part of this conversation and also grieve and just acknowledge the loss, like the literal loss of time, the literal loss of people's lives. I think there's like something in me that really thinks it's important to like take that pause and, take that time and space um, as we move back into whatever or you know whatever things are going to look like in the fall or winter um, and that's also something that I feel like I need like I tend to like you know I don't just do an event or do programming just to do it like it's usually something that comes out of some kind of need that I have or my community has and so it's really important for me because I got to sit down and process my feelings about what it has meant to like not have DJing and to be depressed and to not touch my gear for months at a time and to like only be like recording mixes and not performing live and how recording mixes drove me nuts and like made me not even want to DJ anymore like there's a whole there's a whole kind of like I think compartment of emotions that I kind of put into a a certain um space to just kind of cope and survive through the lockdown mm -hmm. um 
and it's really like I feel like this healing circle is kind of like the culmination of like me trying to like figure out what to do and how to deal with that so anyway I'm working with um, a local nonprofit and um, trying to get some funding right now to um, hopefully have a um, healing circle by early fall and uh, how can people get in touch if they want to book you for a show or check out some of your mixes? Um, Trillnatured at gmail.com is how you can reach me for booking. I don't have any mixes out there right now. Um, I did have a Patreon, which randomly got shut down, like suspended and shut down for whatever reason. I still got to figure that out. But um, yeah, no mixes out there i may have a couple things on my soundcloud soundcloud.com slash true nature but that's really the vibe like i don't even know what's out there i don't even know like other than my email i can't really i don't even know where to send you um <laughs> other than you know other than looking forward to to coming back to the club when when the space is open gotcha gotcha all right well is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over? Um, I don't think so. I definitely think it was important for that part about like lockdown and pandemic and depression and coping to come out. I definitely um, am glad that we were able to touch on that point, like through discussing what's coming up next. Um, I don't have anything else I want to add. I, do appreciate you reaching out um i think this conversation has kind of evolved from like whatever we were able to talk about like a few years ago so you know some you know things work out the way they work out so i'm glad that like for whatever reason now is is the time that we were able to do this yeah absolutely um i just also want to say thank you for responding because a lot of it was just me going back and forth in my head like well what if I hit her up and she ignores me or she's like will you interview me a while back and it didn't come out so like why would I do it now but I think I was just kind of getting in my own way or getting back to what you were saying uh, about like anxiety and stuff I just kind of let it get the best of me at times so um in a in a certain way i do appreciate you reaching out because i was like okay i'm i'm receiving external validation from someone <laughs> that makes me feel better but then i'm like uh -huh. well, you shouldn't that, that that shouldn't be what makes you happy but you know we're human so yeah uh, i definitely get um uh get where you're coming from with that but again thank you so much for the opportunity yeah i'm happy to i'm happy to thank you jason